This episode of Fermented Adventure, the podcast, features Springhouse Spirits. We had a fabulous time meeting with Chris, Randy, and Jen and discussing their spirits, the farm, and all the history that goes along with what they're producing. It really took us back to those early 17, 1800s when each farm had a still. We hope you enjoy the podcast and do share with Jen, Randy, and Chris Springhouse Spirits as to what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. We're here at Springhouse Spirits. I'm Rich Shane. This is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. I'm joined by Chris, Randy, and Jen. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. This is awesome. We're here on a beautiful 70-degree day in Chester County, Pennsylvania, and we get to talk distilled spirits today. Chris, what I'm really curious about is, how did all this get started? About uh, 60 years ago, my grandmother taught me how to distill spirits, make wine, make beer. She ran a still for her grandfather. Um, If you fast forward from that, I ended up in... Nuclear engineering ran nuclear power plants. I can see the I can see the connection. They're like great big stills. Yes, <laughs> you boil water, <laughs> make steam, um, and this has always been on my list to come back to this. Being on this farm, uh, getting to know the history of the farm, and trying to bring that all back together, uh, both in the spirits and how they made spirits 200 years ago. Uh, instead of the grain rotting and going bad by the next year, the farmers would convert it into alcohol. So the corn, the wheat, the rye, the barley, which this area produced a lot of, became spirits, which is then tradable like currency. So I'm, I've recreated that here, basically, where I've got the farm uh, and the background of the farm tying into the spirits and making the same spirits that they would have a few hundred years ago. So the recipes that we're going to try, or what's going in the bottle now, are these recipes that your grandmother created? Are you taking on that legacy, or are you putting your own stamp and spin on it? It's all stuff, it's all recipes that I've created. The mash bill is fairly standard. It's very common, for example, with the bourbon, to have the mix that I have, and kind of a high-ride bourbon. The whiskey is a fairly standard mash bill, but I bring in... Uh, a little bit of essence in my grandmother that she, in, in that she taught me to bring several grains together. Um, as you notice with some scotches, if you just have one grain, which is barley, you can sometimes get something that's very strong tasting and very, uh, very overpowering. But if you start to blend things together, whether it's blending tomatoes together in a sauce or blending grains together in a spirit, you start to get all the best of each 
coming together and making for a more uh, full-bodied, full-mouthfield spirit in the end. So basically, if I have my math correctly, we're talking about the 1950s, 1940s, somewhere in there, that you were standing next to a still with grandmom, you know, fermenting, cooking the mash and all that stuff. Do you have some of those early childhood recollections of, you know, maybe some of the thoughts or what that experience was like for you? Obviously, it impacted you and imprinted you to want to carry it through today. But what were some of those childhood memories? That's probably what made an engineer out of me is just seeing that um, happen because it's a little bit magical, right? You put, you build a fire underneath of a pot um, and then out comes this drip, drip, drip. And grandmother would explain the drip had to be at a certain rate, otherwise um, it wasn't going to come out right. Uh, a lot of it was just sort of mysterious for a child. She didn't really know what she was doing. She was just doing what she was taught to do and didn't understand the thermodynamics of it. But a state in my mind, later I learned the thermodynamics. I taught thermodynamics for a while in the Navy when I was in, um, and I understood the whole process. I kept coming back to it, even though we we're off in a different application where we're spinning turbines. I could see it when I was on the submarine making water from the submarine, 8,000 gallons per day for all the guys on the submarine to take showers and drink and so on. That, that was a still, and it converted seawater into water, drinkable water, usable water, potable water. When I'm in here sometimes, if I don't look out the windows, I'm back on the submarine running all my equipment in the nuclear power plant again. What has it been like for you and perhaps Randy and Jen, you can come in here and talk about this as far as, you know, making this beautiful farmland that we're on, that that milk house that your still is in. What's it been like to create a distillery out of what's here and the process of just putting it all together to where you have liquid in bottles now? You touched on it pretty well there. And that's where I started several years ago. Um, as I said, I, I looked at the history of the area. I would find arrowheads, fishnet weights, um, nutting stones that were 10,000 years old. You know, this, this land right here has been occupied for probably around 13 to 15,000 years, this very spot. There's about 17 springs that come up. Right? So there was wildlife, there were people here. And um, all that history of the farm started to come together here. Uh, when you say the milk house, our whiskey is built around this milk house and the hunt that used to come through and some of the people that lived here. Right? Fillmore was a gentleman that would jump on his horse and go out into the fox hunt, for example, just to share their flasks and share time with those guys and get off the farm, get out of the milk house, right? That he was in 365 days a year, 24 hours a day sometimes, you know, dairy farm is pretty tough. Doc Wendell was a surgeon that lived in the house, owned this property uh, through the Civil War. Uh, St. Malachi is representative of this area, the Doe Run area, the rolling hills, the beauty, the fox hunts. It's a place I've, that's more beautiful than anything I've seen in the world. Um, so that's where that grew from, the run. So for those that can't see on the podcast right now, but check out the website and the social media later, basically what you're doing is you're allowing us to understand how the names of some of your spirits came to be and how you're paying homage to the history of this area, of this land. The farm and the region, exactly. Now, take us back, because you mentioned, well, a couple years and four years and here. What was the inception date of Springhouse Spirits? 
for the when you say inception date, you mean in my mind or in or physically? Well, there's both because you have to buy equipment. Yeah. You have to go to the TTB and the state and say, I'd like to do this. You have to go to local community. Yeah. So yeah, take us through the whole, you know, lineage of your mind and to where we are today. So I, I retired about eight years ago and that's when I started working on it. I started putting the paperwork together, getting with the TTB, getting with the reading the, the local regulations, uh, filing with the state, um, and a lot of back and forth in that, as you know. And that's when I started to shop equipment and then eventually built it um, from things that I had purchased about a year or two after that. I started putting the whole thing together. Um, everything that you see out there is the auxiliary support equipment. In here is the, the distillery equipment that directly does the fermentation and distillation of everything. Uh, I built all that. I designed it on paper went out and got the pieces, parts, and put it all together. Like I said, it's just a nuclear power plant with a different power source. Except you don't have to store the used spent fuel. No. And I'm sure the horses are happy because they get some spent grain, perhaps, to enjoy in their feed. And the, the local farmer feeds it to his beef cattle as well. So, yeah, they get to enjoy the little bit of a sweetness still left in the grain. He said they come running every time he drives up and pulls out one of these big uh, blue buckets you see out there. Now I know why all your dogs are happy, too. <laughs> now, Springhouse Spirits, how did you, I mean, you mentioned Springs, so, but how did you come up with the name and, and, and you know, decide, hey, that's what's going on in our bottles? The Springhouse that got built here in 1814, of course, was, a, was an essential part of life back then. If you don't have water, we sort of dry up and wither away, right? You got to have water, you got to have clean water, potable water, drinkable water. So the spring house used to sit right over here. Um, that spring creates that marsh. That marsh has a lot of wildlife in it. And, and I watched the fox come down. You know, it's the reasons the Indians were here. Everything kind of ties back to this life source, which is that spring and that spring house. It chilled the milk that the farmer produced. It kept the cheeses and the goods that the people that lived here cold. You know, it was the essence of, of civilization. Um, and it ties into the spirits in that way because these spirits became an essence of survival where you produce them and use it like currency, as I was saying before. Now, this is a passion. This is a family heritage. This is a tribute to the area, the surrounding area, and the land You've kind of mapped out in your head. You talked about how technologically you planned out the whole still. What was or what is the plan now? You've got five expressions here. You said you're bottling 400 bottles a month. A month. You're laying all this down. What's the whole business plan now for Springhouse Spirits? I don't think we're going to grow that much more. Um, we just put a vodka on the streets. We just put a... Uh, an American single malt on the streets. Uh, well, that comes out November 11th. Um, so it was the vodka, and then it'll be the single malt on uh, November So 11th. by Friday of this coming, because this gets recorded now, this gets published tomorrow. So on Friday, people will know about this new product, the single malt, yep. and everybody will be lining up at the end of the driveway. Is, is that how they're going to get it? <laughs> Well, we do have pre-orders already that are prepaid on the single mall, and we have a very limited amount, so they should line up early, maybe put some tents out. Okay. Um, the distillery, where you guys are right now, this we don't really open this up to the public. We do most of our sales through the web and, and deliveries um, and requests that people make you know, over the phone and such. Uh, I do bring clients here, 
uh, both commercial and, and private clients, you know, from the local area, but we don't open ourselves up to tour buses and motorcycle groups and all the things that would come with a open to the public type of location. This is really a very niche, bespoke distillery. That's it. It's almost as if it's a secret. Speakeasy style. It is. I mean, I, I really feel like this is like this underground still, but people were going to find out about it. How do people find you in terms of ordering or do you ship just outside of Pennsylvania? What's the process where now people who are not generally in this area can get their hands and their, their mouths on some of this wonderful juice that you're producing? And that's her area of expertise. That's, that's his background. All right. All right. This is where they're going to come in. It's, it's funny how you said, hey, I'm shy. I'm not going to talk too much. And uh, they expected to do all the talking. This is fun. <laughs> but, you know, the only thing I've done is focus really, really hard on quality. I'm trying to make something better than Grey Goose. I'm trying to make something better than the best whiskey you've had before. I'm trying to make a bourbon that will just make you say, wow, this has got depth and flavor and complexity. And now the single malt does the same thing. And we get that feedback from the public. It's not, it's become my opinion because it's other people's opinion, but it was always my goal. So it's kind of like the, if you build it, they will come. That's what's been happening. Word is getting out. You know, Randy brought some clients here uh, two weekends ago on a Sunday. And they, they called up and said, can we do a tasting? Can we come get a bottle of whiskey? And they said, you know, we checked around. We talked to a bunch of people and said, where can we get good whiskey? And they said, all the people they talked to said, come here. So, this is you're, you're like a fine tailor for the whiskey drinker, for the spirit drinker. That's it. You're almost creating this wonderful suit this pattern that you can only get here, but this seems to, I get a sense, Chris, this is something based on your experience to say from from childhood to your experiences through whiskey and spirits, you've started to create this formula. As you said, you put together these formulas. Is, is there a direction for personality that you take into the spirits that you create? Personality? Yeah, I mean, does your what's your personality for a spirit producer as somebody that's distilling? Do you have a signature or a characteristic of personality that you bring to your spirits? Well, what would you describe it as? The quality. I, I keep coming back to the quality. They, he, he doesn't sleep. He's like, out here. The amount of love and time and effort. I mean, everything in this is hand done from the labels being put on the bottle to the wax to every single bottle itself is small batch and with care and precision. and yeah, The flavors of the spirits from bottle of whiskey to bottle of whiskey, it doesn't change. And that's handmade here because of his personality where he follows through on that quality step by step. And then that family infusion We've all dipped these bottles in wax. We make the labels in-house. We've put them on the bottles. That's all done in one little room, all together with that same quality left and right. I get a sense where you're coming in for you, Randy and Jen, that you feel like you're part of something special. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you bring to that speciality? You both seem to have roles here at the distillery. Um, I'm the director of marketing um, and kind of the face. If you call the phones or you see social media posts, usually that's me. I also do the events, so I'm the person that you're going to 
see if you come to any of our local events and sell the bottles and do the tastings. I also am the mixologist in-house, so I create custom cocktails and cocktail books that go along and highlight each of our individual spirits. Um, I'm director of operations, so I'm the behind-the-scenes guy. Um, I do the scheduling, I handle all the emails, requests, and I'm in the process of uh, learning with Chris to be a distillery here at the distillery. That's a great place to be, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. If, if somebody, so I, I mentioned this or I asked this, can do you ship out of state right now? We do ship to several states. Yes. Our, our main focus right now is, is locally. So, so you ship to several states. Which yeah. states do you ship to? Uh, so obviously Pennsylvania, Florida, uh, Kentucky, New Hampshire, New England, and Rhode Island. So those are more conducive to the laws of shipping out of Pennsylvania so that they can get their hands on that. But it sounds to me like as word gets out about Springhouse Spirits, more states may come online or you may have an ability to find a way to send it out to that point too eventually. Absolutely. As soon as, as, soon as uh, obviously it's, you know, Covered. Right. So as soon as the walls allow us to get to the other states, we'll be in with the other states as well. Now, Jen, you mentioned events. Talk about some of the events that you put on here at the distillery. So we do quite a few local events. We will go to local vendor shows. Um, this Saturday, we'll be at a local church craft fair. And we try to do things where it really gives back to the community. Um, our rum specifically gives back. 10% of the revenue of the rum goes back to St. Malachi Church. Um, the church that we're doing an event at this weekend, they are affiliated with that church. So we really try to hone in on the events that really impact our community and do something good to give back to our community as best we can. <laughs> See, what's nice is, and, and as we drove up today, we were greeted by one dog, and there are at least <laughs> three dogs that I've seen so far. This is, this is a great dog distillery. But it's, as I say, it's it's a working distillery. It's a working farm. You got horses moving around out there. I haven't seen the fox come down from the hill yet, but I'm keeping an eye out for that. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're making some single malt today. You've got rum going on. What I'd like to do is, we've talked about your spirits. What I'd like to do is take a break, and then we can taste through some spirits. Is that okay? I love that. Perfect. Pardon the interruption. If you like what you hear, if you love what you're hearing, please share the podcast. Please take a screenshot of the podcast, post it on your social media, tag us just to let everybody else know about Fermented Adventure, the podcast. We'd be grateful for your help to grow our podcast. We're back. And I have to tell you, you put this down here, Jen, for a few minutes and I can smell the just the effervescence of these spirits on my mouth is watering. So we were talking a little bit as we set this up. We brought out the uh, the, the fruit tray. The bees came back. So we put that away. And uh, <laughs> now, now, Chris, you were talking about you have a little notebook of with each of these spirits and just some notes you made. What were you sharing about that? What was I trying to share with you? Yeah. Just the fact that these things don't come overnight. It's uh, it, it's something that I just worked on over time and jotted down ideas. As I got to know all the different owners of the farm, starting with Arthur Parks, which is the single malt that just the came AP eighteen fifteen. Right. That was that stands for Arthur Parks. He was the original owner of the farm. So I jotted down notes for him. He was a, a burgermeister or a mayor of Parksburg before it was called Parksburg. It was called Fountain Inn. So I had to make something that a, a burgermeister. 
it would be fitting of his position. So I penciled in that I would do a single malt, American single malt with that. Fillmore, I did a traditional whiskey. He was a farmer, you know, something a little bit closer to uh, the class of people that he's in. He was more of a whiskey drinker. The fox hunters were whiskey drinkers, that sort of thing. The bourbon went to Doc Window, who, as I said, I, I jotted down notes about him. He was a surgeon and a surgeon during the Civil War. So what did he have in his bag? There were no anesthetics. There were very few disinfectants. He had some sort of distilled spirit in his bag. So the bourbon went to him. Uh, he's a man with a PhD, you know, a, a physician in the mid-1800s. He was intelligent, he had worked hard, he would appreciate a good bourbon. So I made that for him. St. Malachi, I wanted to make a good, solid, traditional rum that went back to when the church was first being built in the 1830s. Right? People were just figuring out that rum put in barrels that, that was on a long voyage was a heck of a lot better than the swill that they got right out of the still. It kept improving with age. So I made it a barrel-aged rum, a, a dark rum, and I went with the traditional rum caramel that gets added just before you bottle. Right? So all of those have roots in history, and all of them just got developed through writing down little notes about what uh, was happening at the time each one of these major events you know, was taking place. Are there still family members or have you gotten feedback from people that recognize these names, the church, or, or as I said, family that recognize these names? What, what has the feedback been for that? Yeah, I have a little bit. There's still some parks around. We've gotten that. Uh, there's still, uh, I won't mention their last name, but relatives of Fillmore are still around. They've been here. They've commented on it. Um, the man that's pictured in that picture on the bottle, that's Bobby Cochran Sr., who's Past, but his son, uh, Bobby Cochran Jr., lives just down the road and still has much of the 1,300-acre estate that Bobby had. Bobby was the one that started the Cochran hunt. That's why he's on there. Um, they've come and they've tried the spirits and they've offered more pictures and they just really want to get engaged in you know, what's on the website and promote the hunt a little bit more, those kinds of things. So. I'm, I'm feeling such a sense of community that you've already created through just bringing back distillation to this area, but incorporating the history and the people into the labels and the names and the lineage that's moving forward. I, I just find that to be fascinating. And, and I find that to be a wonderful tribute to your sense and place of where we are today. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it just does give me a good sense of place and a sense of contribution and a sense of belonging as well. As you start to visit some of these people from the past all the way to my wife's horse, horse, which is uh, the 17 hands vodka. Mm -hmm. That was a horse of a lifetime for her. They just clicked together. So that's a tribute to Slickeroo, who's buried here and and whose spirit we sometimes feel. Wow. You couldn't have timed that any better. I know that's, is that the, uh, the, the ghost of Slickeroo that just came through there? I think it was. That was awesome. Gives All right. chills, doesn't it? It does. I see dead horses. I think that's. <laughs> now, we are going to taste these. Which one are we going to start with? The Fillmore Rides? Mm -hmm. Yes. And that is here? Here. Okay, good. <laughs> so talk about the creation of this, the mash bill, and the flavor profile that you were looking to create. So a good basic whiskey with a four-part mash bill. And Jen can talk to the flavors more than I can. But it's 72% uh, it's corn, 12% rye, 12% wheat, 4% malted barley. 
everything, all the whiskeys have 4% malted barley, right? Except for the single malt, of course, which is 100%. But there's that blended idea again. So a really just basic, good quality whiskey. What comes through right away is this, you get green. And I love the fact that we're outside because this almost brings me onto the farm. This, this sweet spiciness of the grain, you get some cherry notes to this, strawberry I get out of this. How long is this aged right now in the barrel? Um, it comes out to be an equivalent of uh, two to four years. Uh, it's more of a, some of it is more of a four-year equivalent now, but I'm using small barrels. So when you compare aging, as you probably run into, as you move up in barrel size, a two-year 53-gallon barrel um, is kind of the standard. You go down to a five-gallon barrel, it ages four times as fast. So it's uh, approximately equivalent to a four-year 53-gallon barrel age. So is this a five-gallon or a 10-gallon barrel that you're using? five-gallon. Five-gallon. And as you grow, are you laying down larger barrels now, or is the business mindset to stay within this parameter to make sure that you can satisfy and take care of the needs of your fans? I am starting to lay down a 30-gallon barrel for the single malt. Um, one of the things I'm, I've done, and I won't go into too much detail about it, is if you look at what contributes to the flavor of a whiskey, 10% is the still, 10% is the grain, 10% is the yeast. So 30% is a generous uh, estimate of the flavor contribution. 70% to 80% is the wood. So my concern is what everybody struggles with is I don't get to toast the barrels necessarily. Right? I don't get to char the barrels. And I get kind of a wide distribution on the toasting and charring, which is where all the flavor is. So I, I have done some things to take more control of that. Um, to control my toasting so that I can... And that's a proprietary secret. Yes. Gotcha. I, I toast the barrels, uh, the oak, so that I get a nice vanilla peak. Right? I toast so I get a nice almond peak for some other things. And then I combine some of that so I get different flavor peak profiles coming out of the wood. As you nose this through and you're explaining in detail and, and just kind of bringing people into your process... It almost has like this cola essence on the nose. There, you almost get the fizz on the nose of the cola. So there's, there's so much wonderful variety and there's so much layers of depth even in the nose. I still haven't tried it yet. But I, I'm really just, like I said, it's a 73 sunny day here in Chester County. And this is just a wonderful treat. Just I can see why you bring people out to this location with the old stonework and just the beautiful covering. This is a wonderful spot. Yeah, you're surrounded by history. This stone was some of the first laid here in the 1814s and 1815s. So. The mouthfeel, which I don't know, I shouldn't say surprising, but it's thicker. It's got more viscosity than what I was expecting on the nose. The nose presented me with a thinner idea of a mouthfeel, but this has just this wonderful coating mouthfeel. It, it doesn't seem like a high proof. Where are you coming in on the proof there? 84. 84. So it's it's a nice, gentle proof to come in. This is exactly what, hey, if you're out there on a fox hunt, you don't want to be drinking, you know, cast strength, right? right. You want to have your wits about you. You don't want to shoot the dogs. You want to shoot the foxes, right? You don't want to shoot yourself. So 
this is exactly what I want to warm me up, but give me that, yeah, <laughs> but give me that nice flavor. I also got this wonderful nuttiness in the palate. Talk a little bit about some of the characteristics that you're creating and, and the flavor profile there. So <laughs> we really try hard to bring in this nice vanilla almond flavor, which I would say a lot of people don't just because of how far you have to toast it and, and the risk that's kind of involved when you bring in that nutty flavor. Um, it really does give this super smoothness and almost like a lovely dessert undertone to it that I just think it's, it, this is my favorite whiskey for someone that says, I don't like whiskey. I, I can make you like whiskey. I can promise you, you know, you're going to taste this and you're going to like whiskey after this. And I, I've never failed with with that. I just really love how smooth it is. It almost comes off like a bourbon with just that that's simple smoothness. I don't think that it has that that typical whiskey burn because of that flavor profile that Chris has created. I think what helps to that where you say, you know, it's not a bourbon, right? Yeah. It's but it's also not a white dog. Right. And I think what you've created is that middle of the road spirit. It's nice because with a white dog, you're going to get all the floral notes before the barrel, to your point, Chris, starts to impart all of those characteristics, those vanillins, the, the, the wood characteristics. So you're almost in between. And I have to say, I don't think we've had anything like that in between. A lot of distillers say, okay, we're starting. We'll start the white whiskey because now we have something to sell. Now we have something for people to sample. But they're already, they're, you know, they're trying to get to that end point. And you've given them that middle point. And where I would say, Jen, yeah, if you're not a whiskey drinker, what you've done is you've created some sweetness to this, some nuttiness to this, some spiciness to this, that people can find this to be approachable. And keeping the proof down, you can make some nice cocktails out of this too, right? You really can. Um, it's, it's a lovely whiskey. All of our spirits complement cocktails very well. And what I love specifically about our whiskey is that you can either make a cocktail to truly enhance those flavors that you were pulling out or to kind of hide it. So we have some cocktails where if somebody just really doesn't like that flavor, you, you can still showcase that vanilla and that almond without tasting, you know, a heavy whiskey because it's not heavy. It's just notable. I almost... Just, I would almost do something very simple with this and add a little bit of soda water right. and a lemon. Yeah, I love and, it. And, or an orange, and that's it. Yeah. Very simple. This whiskey in an old-fashioned or a Manhattan is just... Phenomenal. What is our next offering? Now, that was the Fillmore Rides, and we're moving to Doc Wendell. Doc yes. Wendell I, I, I'm glad, you know, for Doc Wendell and all the people that he helped to save through the Civil War and I'm sure all the other medical and physical uh, physician things that he did. Chris, as you come back, I, I have a curiosity. 4% malted barley. How did you land on 4% for what you wanted to go through with the mash bill and not something higher, let's say a 10%? 4% is pretty common for one. Uh, 4% turns out to be about all the enzyme that I need to convert the starches for the other grains. Uh, and I didn't want to overpower it with that, that kind of sweetie barley flavor that you can get sometimes, although it does add some nuttiness and some other things. 
some minor contributors. So I treated barley more like an enzyme uh, to do the starch conversion than anything else and just have a nice background flavor in there. As I have been sipping through the Fillmore Rides, one of the things that presented to me was I still got a smoky characteristic in the finish. And I don't think that's coming off as much of the other other grains in the mash bill because it doesn't sound like it's as high to impart that with such a low malted barley content. But that was just wonderful. As that, again, you sip through this, all these different layers present themselves, which is nice. Yeah. And that smoky flavor, I can't tell you how I do it, but I do uh, I work with the wood to get that smokiness coming out of the wood. If you think that layers, just wait till you get to the single malt. All right, well, yeah. we're going to go slowly, <laughs> Randy. I mean, let's see where we get to here. But this is uh, the Doc Windle. This is your bourbon whiskey. Is this aged two years as well, or is this longer now in your barrels? It's uh, it's aged about the same. It's it's a two-year to three-year equivalent. Uh, trying to think of where. Some of it is, yeah, some of it's, uh, that's probably in a, in a, Two and a half year range. Okay, and it, got in your hands. it noses at a little higher proof than what we just had with the other whiskey. It had to be ninety eight point six for the dock, right? Okay, ninety eight point six because it's the body temperature, right? I love it. Not ninety eight point seven, not ninety eight point five, ninety eight point six. Super. The nose on this is again. You're. I, I, I tasted this too. I, I I was able to enjoy this, but even the nose again is thinner than what the mouthfeel is. Now, I asked, is there a specific characteristic that comes through? I mean, I know it's quality, but it's that presentation of the nose versus mouthfeel. In a lot of ways, what you expect to have on the nose should or may come out on the mouthfeel, but they're totally different. Have you ever noticed that, or is that something that you're aware of? A little bit, yeah. A little bit. I've noticed that a little bit. These guys are better tasters than I am. <laughs> it's actually something I greatly enjoy. Um, you'll notice as you go through the rest of the, the tasting, the thing that's missing that you'll find in other types of maybe name brand liquors, um, you get a really strong alcohol smell that almost distracts you from getting that good nose. And none of this will do that to you. And then when you taste it, you still don't get that burn. Yeah. So I really can appreciate it. I'm discovering like a mint on the nose here, um, more of a savory side, and as the woods come into play, that oakiness that comes through. Um, now, are you having, the barrels that you're doing, you said you, you do some toasting, are these custom made for you right now, or is this something you're purchasing you know, on the, off the market and you're making, you're doing your own toasting? Yeah, some of these barrels that I'm using for the bourbon especially, I'm getting from a guy up, in, uh, up near State College. Uh, M&D Staves, and he does custom barrels for the wine industry predominantly for the last several years, and now he's breaking out into the whiskey and bourbon industry. So I've been tapping him. He's very, very good. It's all local wood, too. What I also get, just like the whiskey that we tried, there's this wonderful balance of the grains that come through. The corn and the, the, the barley you know, is there. I can get the enzyme, but I'm still getting that smokiness that is a proprietary secret, Chris, that you know, only you have been able to formulate with your uh, years on the submarine, probably. <laughs> um, but 
also, you know, there, there's a num there's a wonderful wood flavor as I'm getting dive bombed by a bee. And <laughs> and to our cider and uh, mead producers, we're going to make sure that this one lives because uh, we want to make sure that we have more cider and mead for the world. So it's okay. Um, but this is wonderful. This is a great sipping bourbon. Jen, we talked about, um, you know, some cocktails. Yeah. What's a good cocktail for, for the bourbons that you're producing? So I know that Randy said an old-fashioned for our whiskey. However, I really love our bourbon in a traditional old-fashioned. I personally like to smoke my old-fashions with, with some oak chips. Um, but I, I really do think that it highlights all of these beautiful flavors that this has to offer. I just feel like on a nice starry night here, I just want to sit down and just look up at the stars. I've tried that. And just drink. <laughs> I'm trying to find this one flavor that, that that comes and goes. I mean, what are your what are, what are some of your experiences with some of these flavors, some of the characteristics of this Doc Window bourbon? Well, you know, Doc Window is a little higher rye. I call it high rye bourbon. Um, and by you can see on the mash bill, what I did was elevate the rye a little bit more to give you some more complexity and flavor, a little more spiciness, a little more floral uh, activity going on. Um, and then the rest, of course, is, is the wood treatment. There's this creamy chocolate note that came and went. And it also kind of lingers there. This nice quality chocolate, milk chocolate that comes in. And I'm really enjoying that. It, that's just a wonderful lingering. Just a little bit. That's what I'm saying. It came and it went. Like, yeah. yeah, that's exactly what it was. There's that fox. Go get it. All right, which, which one here is the next one? Is this the rum? That's the rum. The St. Malachi rum. Now, you made this a tribute to the church. So how did you decide to do a rum to pay homage to the church? Because I would think you'd want to do like a wine or something, but that's just me. <laughs> Um, it's a complicated story. Let's see if I can simplify it a little bit. You know, it, I, I focused on the colonies coming together, you know, after 1776. Um, that's the oldest continuously occupied parish in Chester County. So it's, it's tied to the surroundings. Um, there was a lot of rum back then washing around, and it's easy, easy to make. So there was just tons of it. And then the Brits were bringing a lot of it over. Uh, Europeans were bringing a lot of rum over because you could make large quantities. It was inexpensive. Uh, they were watering it down. There was a lot of illegal stuff going on. So rum just caught my attention. Uh, Zook Molasses is just down the road in Honeybrook, as you may be aware. And I wanted to use some local products, some local sugar-type uh, products like that, either uh, sorghum or molasses. And I settled on them with their molasses. So it just all came together there. I was going to do something for Doe Run. And then I met the new Catholic priest. Uh, he, he likes to be called Chief. I don't know why. He's Father O'Neill. Yeah, he's a chief. Uh, and we started talking, and I said, you know, I, I love that church, that little chapel. He educated me on some of the history about it, and it just tied together. And then I wanted to do, um, you know, a 10% of revenue. And I was getting a lot, a lot of requests for rum. You know, it bridges the gender gap. Uh, more men like whiskey than women is what I've run into. The rum kind of goes... 50-50, and you can make a lot more kind of happy, fruity, floral, celebrate life type drinks with rum. So that's where we landed. Very traditional, barrel-aged, simple rum. I am so enjoying the nose on this rum. And this is a barrel-aged spice rum? No, no spice. No spice. 
but you did incorporate or impart some other characteristics that you talked about earlier. Remind me of that through the process of making your rum. The rum caramel. The rum caramel. Right, which is a pre-bottle practice. Not everybody does it, but it's, it's very traditional. I think at one time it was done to try and make the rum palatable. Okay. If you've noticed, when you get a rum that's a little bit off, you, you'll, you'll smell a fingernail polish. The acetals are in there. And that's a common sin. I, I've even gotten it on some pretty good rums where I can't drink it. Uh, you and I were trying one one time. Mm-hmm. I love in the Bahamas, but for some reason when it gets to the States, it it's not got good. Nail <laughs> they, they cut the heads. It's, it's, uh, um, the heads are in there is what is the problem is. You know, it's economies uh, of having to ship it, I suppose. I don't know. But so this with the rum caramel and then with the things that I do with my barrel aging is what's giving you such a delightful nose. When I nose a rum, this is what I want to smell. This is that, and a lot of times in whatever it is, the nose comes off kind of deaf. Does that make sense? It, yeah. it comes out muted. Very muted, yeah. In a way yeah. that, you know, I, my, my nose can't smell. Yeah. I don't know if that's deafness. I think that's lovely because most rums, to me, I think typically have that strong smell. That Well, I like the funk. You know, I love the, I, I do, I love the rum funk. I love that, the, the bananas, the funkiness of it. But also, I want to smell that, that those rich sugars. Yeah. That to me kind is... caramely. Yeah, I really do. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking you must create some wonderful cocktails with this. Ah. You like, you, like, oh, look, we've it's, got... This is Jen. These are all her books. Oh, she's, she's a producer and a, you're, you're a... Uh, <laughs> She's a gen of all trades. Okay. <laughs> um, You're an acclaimed author as well. I, you know, I do what I can. I love the rum because of how it's flavored. It doesn't have to typically be as hidden. So with the book, we were able to do a lot of showcasing of that flavor with very simple homemade simple syrups or, you know, just, just basic ingredients that just showcase the, all the flavors in there. My experience now, as you're explaining the showcase of flavors, this is the opposite again of what I experienced with the whiskeys and the bourbon, that it's got a thick nose to it, but a thinner mouthfeel. And I do get those burnt sugars at the end. I do get that barrel that plays nicely. It does drink higher than 84 proof to me. Mm. It, It does seem to pronounce higher. But again, this is just a wonderful, lovely rum. So thank you for that. Yeah, I make my own rum caramel just so I can control that aspect of it. Um, if you go out and try and purchase it, it's going to be all over the map from almost like a butterscotchery. Butterscotchery? Butterscotchery. Butterscotchery. Yeah. <laughs> to, a, to something that's not quite been uh, caramelized enough. Because you've got to bring it past the smoke point, and you've got to not be afraid that it's turning really, really dark on you. And then, then you get rid of some of that sugar, you bring in some nice complex flavors, and you get a rum taste to it. The rum taste, as you described, comes out wonderfully. This is just, again, see, the nice thing, all three expressions that we've had so far, you can sip me, you can enjoy. If somebody wants to put an ice cube in there, if somebody wants to put a little water and proof down, you know, to change that flavor profile a little bit, you can. Or this will stand up wonderfully in a cocktail. This is great. Now... We're moving on to vodka. Or should we do the single malt? Which one? You're our tour guide. 
We would do the vodka. Okay. Um, this is where we get off the map a little bit for a spring house. Yeah. You did. And uh, this was not Chris's first choice to do. <laughs> um, Jen basically had to beat him up. Minus the baseball bat to, to get him to make the vodka. This one took a little bit of convincing. This is my baby. It, it definitely was a labor of love and, and some convincing. But we tried to create something that's not typically found on the market. And I really think we accomplished it. I think it's a really, really beautiful vodka. What's the base for the vodka? Wheat. Really? Yes, yeah, it's, it's. I made a, 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 fr- a French type vodka, and used one hundred percent wheat. Must be a breadfruit. I thought you were going to tell me this was like more of a, a sugar base or something like that, because that's on the notes. Hmm. Talk about this. Well, the wheat is, is what kind of brings that sweetness in, that mouthfeel. The reason the French like it, like, uh, for example, Grey Goose, is because you get a nice mouth. You get kind of a buttery, whoops, you get kind of a buttery, sugary sweetness to it where it doesn't, doesn't slam me alongside the face with its taste. Um, the, the secret ingredient, which is not so secret, that's in there that you might pick up on is, is similar to Grey Goose, where you use dried chive blossoms, but you got to be careful with those. We found we we did find with lots of market research. Chive blossoms, yeah, chive blossoms. That's what Grey Goose does. Now they, really, they use the garlic chive. We use the chive chive, uh, which has a little bit milder, mellower. You don't get that burn that you get with the garlic chive. It just creates this really earthy, beautiful tone. Makes it smooth. Yeah. Yeah. As you said, it's buttery. Yeah. It really is on the nose. It's sweet. Yeah. It almost still holds on to the characteristic of the rum where you had the caramel notes, the vanilla notes to it. Yeah, I don't know is. if this went in the wrong way or it's just now the <laughs> being outside in the farm. I don't know. <laughs> it's the spirit of slick grabbing it. Well, you know, the, the other trick with vodka. vodka this is not vodka. This is a trick. <laughs> it's magic. No, really. It's so good. So I feel yeah. like this is, no one's ever done this before, but I feel like this is a white rum because this doesn't drink like a vodka. No, it doesn't. It doesn't taste like a vodka. Yeah. It's got so much more flavor and maybe because of the proof, you're allowing for a lot of those flavors and personality to come through. Right. I'm, Chris's wife likes vodka. And so when we finally got him to agree <laughs> to make this, it was really, really important that that flavor profile was something that she would appreciate and she would like. And when I spoke with her about what kind of flavor profile she'd like, she said, I want it to be refreshing. I want it to be something that you can sip on its own. And that was the main goal was to just create this beautiful piece that, you know, it, it doesn't need anything and it, it can just really hold its own and i really think he's done that if you don't like vodka you're gonna like this you're gonna love this. if you're a, if you're a rum drinker you're gonna like this if you in the bartender mixology space want something different and creative to make with now to make cocktails out of this is awesome the, the vodka is amazing for mixing it I'm still waiting for you to say no, Dad. We're just kidding. This, I'm telling you, this this to me drinks more like a rum than it does a vodka. Yeah, and it's made out of wheat. <laughs> now you know one of the, well, 
I'm very careful about getting my starches converted over into sugars. First into the long chains and then into the short chain sugars. You know, rum, you're starting out with sugar. So you really get a good sugar effect out of your fermentation. If you're really careful with your wheat, you can get something similar. Right? And it's a good local wheat too. I buy it right out of the combine, basically dumped into a bag. So, Does this drink like a vodka? No, it definitely tastes like rum. It's, right? it's delicious. Am I am I just crazy? I'm, I'm still waiting for them to take the label off and go, I'm just kidding. This is awesome. Wow. Beautiful straight, great mixed. And then if uh, you guys are up for it after this, she has uh, her own special pumpkin cocktail that she made with vodka. It's the season. If you guys are up for it. <laughs> All you had to say was pumpkin. It tastes like you're drinking pumpkin pie. Like it's perfect. I can see that with this. Yeah. Because of the sweetness and just the the, the nutty notes, the 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 um the smoky notes, um even the burnt sugar notes, the caramel notes. Wow. Nothing it's so fun to play with and to create cocktails for because I like it's it just the way it is. Yeah, I love it on its own. It, yeah. it is marshmallow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I'm gonna throw a little bit of peanut. <laughs> I'm gonna make some fluffer <laughs> nutter out of this or something. This is wonderful. Why did all right? I, I can't now. Like we did these great four of them, and now we've got this one coming up last. I'm. Why didn't you put out all the expressions you guys make? There's like four hundred more that you haven't even <laughs> let us try yet. But the, the single malt holding back on us. The this, single malt's the baby. Yeah, yeah. This this is the baby. It is it is beautiful. If Come, you guys comes out Friday. Yeah, it comes out Friday. November 11th. November 11th. Veterans Day. Her birthday. My birthday. Her birthday. Your birthday. Oh, my birthday. Thank you. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, All big days. And and I think it was the same idea to create something that you can't find on the market. And this is layered beautifully. It's just going to, you can thank us later. <laughs> You're going to want that second sip. It's just so smooth and lovely. Do you get cayenne pepper or a hot pepper I, on I the nose? I was going to say, there is something, yeah, there's yeah. something. Like, like not, not, not pepper, not black pepper. No. It's just so unique. Like a sweet. Yeah. Like a jalapeno, not a jalapeno. It's more of a cayenne. It's a hot pepper on that. Has anybody ever told you that, or am they, I the first? They have. We well, have okay. Very You're few. looking at me like... Uh, no, I, I love it. I love it. You're so looking at me like you've been drinking, and I haven't. There's, there's very few, few people who have tasted it. So yeah. we're... You're, you're one of the first. One of three people yeah. that don't work here at the distillery that have tried There's it. a specific chocolate that I can't think of that is on my nose. Today. It's like a mole. It's yeah, almost like a mole. Yeah. In yeah. a way, there's this. We get the crazy look because we've all tasted it, and we're we've done this banter back and forth up in the storage area, like while we're it's it it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, and again, I think there's a youthfulness to your spirits where you get the the, the grain, the mintiness, um, the the almost that greenness that comes through the grain. And I still smell this here in a single malt. You're going to you're going to find that, and I I would want to find that. How far away were was was the was the grain harvested? Where is this specific grain harvested? It's local. Everything, for the most part, we try to keep as local as we can um, to really create that sense of community. I, I know I don't particularly want to speak on behalf of Chris, but I do know that this is hugely important to both him and us for the business to really have this family aspect to it. And when you're opening a bottle, you know that you're part of the family now. I think one of the things that I get a sense of is that you're 
you know, Chris, this brings me back to, you know, talking about your grandma and your grandmother and you, you know, learning or being experienced to see the whole distillation process. All those grains came local and you're still full circle. The, the grains are local. And, and you've got all this personality of the, this is to me what screams that provenance, that terroir of that, you know, hey, everybody owned a still back in the day, right? Everybody made their own spirits because they had the leftover grain and it was a commodity as you pointed out. I can trade the spirit and, and, and have a livelihood or I, I have this spirit now to enjoy through the winter and through the seasons to celebrate with, just to just to have and enjoy. And I, and I think that typifies these grains that if, if I go back to those 1800s, this is what I'm going to find coming off the still at Springhouse Spirits. Exactly. I, I think that's 100 percent of what you're tasting in the vodka, too. Just a really good quality, soft red wheat that's high in starch that some people don't want to use for breads and other things, but it's beautiful for things like this. I get, like, you just, you put it in my mouth to have happen in my head, but I get the breadiness of this single malt. It's it's just this wonderful, do you get it's that? It's driving me crazy because there's something on the nose and I still <laughs> haven't figured it out. And it's like such a familiar smell and I can't, it's going to, Okay. I fell in love with it when we first tried it um, a couple months ago when we were market researching and taste <laughs> testing. After trying other scotches and single malts out there, this does something that none of them did for me, which when it entered into my mouth, it split. I got something up top, something down bottom. So there was a spicy and then there was like a savory. And then it builds because after you finish that sip, you take another one. And then when you realize you're almost done with the glass, you're looking back at the bottle like, oh, man, I got to try another one. <laughs> See, I get the I get this breadiness to it, this very deep, rich breadiness. Almost, there's a yeast that comes through in the in the flavor profile as well. But I literally feel like you just handed me a piece of bread soaked in whiskey, and I'm still getting the doughiness that comes out. Um, there's still those the, those minty notes that that just kind of linger on the palate too. Okay, um, pepper, like pepper, pepper. Okay. And this one comes out November 11th, or yeah. wow. And I was pushing for a little bit of a peppery note. Yeah, so you got it. Definitely taste that. Yeah. Pre-orders are available now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a warm, it's a warm hug. I would say that what you're producing, what you have here, is craft. This is, this is everything you want in a big package of craft. You're taking the local greens. You're taking the local heritage and the nostalgia. You're incorporating your own flavor profile and decision on how you want this to go based on experience of, hey, I know you used the word or name Grey Goose earlier, and you've tried to add characteristics of Grey Goose, right? But this is your, you know, this is like you're a local artisan. That's what I see here. Springhouse Spirits is a local artisan distillery, and even before trying your spirits, like I said, this is a bespoke distillery. This is really not three times. <laughs> okay, you, you've created this. My, you're my own personal tailor on a suit that I want to have that I know I'm not going to be able to get anywhere else, and that's lovely. That's wonderful. Thank you. 
Wow. On Instagram, on the web, how do people find you? Um, both. So we have Instagram, Facebook, and our website. You can reach out, message through any of those. You can also call. Um, we are always pretty quick to respond. And if you order online and you are local, we do free same day, next day delivery generally. Um, as long as, you know, weather's <laughs> good. Weather permitting. Springhousespirits.com or Springhouse Spirits or Springhouse Spirits. Mm -hmm. Yep. We, we just had a bee fly into the uh, microphone. For some reason, they're back out again, and we don't have that. <laughs> we don't have, we don't have the fancy uh, the, the fancy board or anything else. We have our favorite style of drink, which is cider. Okay. And, and the single malt. Yeah. <laughs> so it's the perfect end of day drink. It's doing a hot cider with a single malt with a little cinnamon in it. I would say. So they're, they're after our house. You brought out. I got to pump these right? guys a little bit. That's Deer Creek Malt House. You run into them, right? Yep. That's where we get our, our uh, malted barley oh, nice. for the American single malt. Some of what you smell here is a little bit of what you're tasting in there. I think Mark does a great job. See, I think that's important, Chris. I, I, I think that, again, that the grain shouldn't get lost in what you're producing, right? It, 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 it shouldn't. You need to have that personality to come out. Or why bother? Why buy it? Yeah. If you just want ethyl alcohol, I can do that. You too. can do that. <laughs> but, I mean, you can turn seawater into drinking water. You're a magician. <laughs> this has been such a treat. I, I want to thank you very much for inviting us out to this experience. This is, this is almost like this once-in-a-lifetime experience. And hopefully now, you know, it's, it's like if you build it, they will come. Um, November 11th, which is just in a couple of days from release, you've got this single malt. How many bottles of this have you produced? Um, I'll have 30 available by Friday. 30 available by Friday. And then that's it. That's it. It's 30 Everybody bottles. Everybody small batch. But the pre-orders are coming from that too, though. So yeah. we're already down off of that. Okay, so small there's batch. one bottle left, and um, we're leaving with it. So uh, <laughs> sorry about that. Thank you so much for this. This is a treat. I really appreciate it. You know, thanks for being a friend of Fermented Adventure now. And uh, we just can't wait to see more of what you guys are producing. This this fake vodka that you make. Thank you very much for that. Gin next year. Gin next year. Cheers. 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 <laughs>